So we are in our series before Christmas. If this is your first time joining us for a little while, uh, since the beginning of November, we've been doing this series of slowly walking through the Old Testament, setting the stage for why we need Christmas. Why did we need God to send his Savior when he had all these plans for Israel and he had the law and we have the whole Old Testament? Why do we need the New Testament? And, and that also helps us as we go through, because I'm going through quite quickly, which is ironic because Wednesday has been an absolute turtle crawl of getting through Romans. And in the same amount of time that we got through one chapter of Romans, we've gone through the entire Old Testament. So, like, just a very... But when we go through it that quickly, we get a grander scope of what is going on in the story. We see the grand story of what's happening in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is so long, we can sometimes get caught up in the individual parts and forget that there's this grander scope happening that God has this bigger plan in motion and so when we go through like we have been we see the plan we see how God is setting the stage for the fact that we needed something more so we started off with the first man and the first woman and how they were given every advantage but they gave it all away and through their actions sin came into the world and has impacted every single human who has ever walked the earth since them and we saw that we needed a better man. Through one, Paul says, through one man, sin entered the world. And through another, the man Jesus, salvation came to all of creation. And so we saw that, and then we looked at the laws. Because the laws were kind of God's response to sin. It was like, we're going to pick these people. We're going to set them apart from everyone else. And I'm going to give them these laws that are good and beautiful and perfect. And if they follow them, they will be unlike any other nation. They'll experience blessing and and it worked for a bit, and then the people continued to break the laws. And we saw that actually what the laws did is they just made us aware of the things that we should be doing and things we shouldn't be doing. And it gave, us, gave man the impression that he could earn his salvation, and that's simply not the case. We're just not good enough. We needed something better. We needed Jesus to pay the price so that it's not what we do that gets us, it's what he did. That gets us saved. And it's through our salvation that we live differently. It's through the fact that Jesus has done such a great thing that we live different lives. And last week we looked at the judges and the kings because the people were now in the promised land and they wanted leaders. What we saw is after Joshua died, who led them into the promised land, they forgot about God. The next generation forgets about God. You remember I really poorly drew that downward spiral thing. And uh, I went back, I watched it, it's so bad. Anyways, um, I was going to do it again you know, to save you guys the pain of it. Um, Joshua dies, and the next generation forgets about God, and they fall into sin, and a nation comes, and they conquer them and rule over them. And so because of that, <clears throat> they cry out, and God sends a judge. And the judge redeems them, and they get better, but they don't quite get to where they were under Joshua. And then the judge dies, and they fall and what we saw was it wasn't just the judges, it was the kings as well. The kings were meant to lead them. They were supposed to know God's law and lead them into deeper relationship with Christ, or deeper relationship with the Lord, and the kings kept failing. And eventually it led to the exile of both nations. And what we saw is that the judges and the kings were human redeemers, but they were never good enough. We needed a better redeemer. And what we saw is Jesus has the ability that when we fall and we make mistakes and we walk away, and he has the ability not only to pick us up, lift us up, but actually use those things to make us stronger, to refine us, to make us more and more in the image of him. 
Which brings us to the part in the story where we are now. The people are in exile. And the question that comes up often is, why would God put his own people into exile? And this is often used as an argument, the fact that if there is a God, because the world doesn't believe there is one, but if there is one, um, he's evil. Because not only does he punish people who don't love him, he punishes his own people. So how would a good God do such a bad thing? And in response to that, I have this question. Parents, whether you have kids with you now or you have older kids, let me ask you a question. Did you ever ground your child? Hands up if you ever had to ground one of your children at some point in their life. Yeah, okay, okay. Morgan's parents, you never grounded her ever, right? No, yeah, see, that, mm, we're not all so fortunate. Um, right, at some point, we gra- we, there's, there's discipline, right? Something happens that our kids are doing something, and there's a consequence to what they are doing. But let me ask you, parents, when you grounded your kid, did you stop loving them in the midst of grounding them? Never. Your child may have communicated such things, you don't love me. No, that's not true. I actually am grounding you because I love you. Why? Because there's an action that they have taken, and what we're trying to prevent is that action becoming a habit, and habit becoming character, and character leading them down a path that we don't want them to go down. Grounding, discipline, whatever form it takes is not a bad thing, but in the moment, it doesn't feel very enjoyable. And what we see in the story of Israel is this is what God is doing. God has given the people expectations. Here are the laws. Here's how I expect you to act. Here's how I expect you to represent me in all that you do. And if you don't, there's consequences. And I think the best way to sum it up is in the, the author of Hebrews says it so well. Chapter 12, um, whoop, verse 5. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplined those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as as his own children. Whoever whoever heard of a child who has never been disciplined by his father, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate and are not really his child at all. Oh, thanks, author. That's, uh, that's a little heavy. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So the author of Hebrews is talking to the church, but, he, but it's a good reflection of what Israel went through. God is seeing Israel, and he sees us as his children, and he uses discipline as a means to correct us, refine us, and help us share in his holiness. And the question I want to pose to you this morning is, have you ever considered that you're going through a tough time, and it is a time of discipline for you from the Lord? I'm not saying every time. You know, there are times where 
you know, we got sin, we got a spiritual enemy, and we've got all kinds of things that are trying to just derail our, our life. But there are seasons where God is trying to correct something in us. He's trying to refine something in us. And God still continues to discipline us. And I don't know if we're, and I, I encourage you that if you're going through a season right now that is a little bit harder than normal, to maybe stop and say, okay, God, is this a season of discipline? Is there something you're trying to bring to my attention that needs to be corrected? Because I, just like we as parents have to do that for our kids, God is going to do it for us. And even though it may be unpleasant, and even though it may be unfortunate, it's for our good, ultimately. But how often, <laughs> and I'm going to pick on, okay, now we're put on the hat kids. How many times as, when we were kids did we get corrected and we didn't always see the lesson in the midst of it? We just saw mom and dad be mean to us, right? Uh, throw me in my room again. But there's a lesson in it. And just like there's a lesson when our parents did it, there's a lesson when God does it. And the trick is figuring out what the lesson is. But anyways, back to Israel. And remember, when we read through the Old Testament, we need to put ourselves, we are Israel in the story. So Israel's being disciplined. But in the midst of discipline, in the midst of hardship, it doesn't mean that God stops speaking, and it doesn't mean that God stops moving. Because it is during the exile that we get the prophet Ezekiel. It is during the exile that we get the prophet Daniel. It is during the exile that we get Esther, who ends up marrying King Xerxes. We have these really great stories, and we have this evidence that even in the midst of disciplining his people, God is still moving. God is still speaking to his people. He's still setting them up to succeed. Uh, and it's the same for us. We may be going through a time of discipline. It may feel like God is distant, but he's not. He's right there with us. He's moving with us. He's encouraging us. We just need to have ears to hear what he's trying to say in the midst of the challenges. <clears throat> So the exile, the good thing is, the exile doesn't last forever. Israel returns. And this is where we get in the story with Ezra and Nehemiah. The prophets who work at the time are Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. And we know that Malachi is actually the last prophet of Israel. He, he actually pens the last words that God speaks through his people to his people. And we're going to look at what Malachi said. But in the midst of them coming back, Ezra and Nehemiah are, petition, are commissioned by the king to go back. Nehemiah is to rebuild the walls and rebuild the city. Ezra is a priest. Ezra is to come back and rebuild the temple. And unfortunately, what we see is that the cycle of coming back but not quite where they used to be is continuing. And we have this really interesting story in Ezra 3. The priests are laying the foundation of the temple and, and they're standing at it, and they're going to get ready to celebrate. And this is what we read. Ezra 3, starting in verse 10. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang the song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. What an amazing song. They just came out of exile. They just came out of a time of discipline. And instead of being mad at God, they come in and they're like, God's love endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But, right, so we, we have a group that's like, yes, 
the temple's getting the foundations there. But many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept out loud when they saw the new temple's foundations. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that couldn't be heard in a distance. So what is happening? So the people who had, the, there's a generation who all they've ever known is exile, and they've returned to the promised land, and they're excited to be back in the promised land. They're excited to be rebuilding the, land, the nation of their ancestors, and they lay the foundation of the temple, and they're like, yes, the temple, we're, you know, they're excited, and it's going to be good, but there's the old guard who's looking at the temple, and they're like, really, that's it? Because they remember the temple that Solomon built. The temple Solomon built would have been one of the great wonders of the world had it survived. It was amazing. The size, the scope, interlaced with gold. Like, this thing was a sight to behold. So this old guy remembers the big temple. And they're looking at this foundation. They're like, ah, really? That's it? Remember the good old days? Oh, this is the problem, and this is, this is something that has never changed. They're looking back saying, oh, the temple was so much better. Look at this puny little thing. And it has the risk of absolutely deflating the group that is so excited about what's happening today because the new group is like, we've got a temple. It's going to be good. And the old guard's like, yeah, that's not that nice. And we got to be so careful, even in today. Right? There's, there's new seasons that come along, and there's people that are excited about the new season. They're excited about what's going on, and it can be so tempting to look back and be like, ah, oh, the good old days where everything always went really good, and everything we touched turned to gold, and nothing ever went wrong, and nobody ever sinned, and it was just amazing. It, it's good, but it's not as good. No, stop it. Remember the good days. Learn from the good days, but press ahead in what is happening right here and right now because God is in fact there. God is right here right now doing something amazing and that applies to church, it applies to business, it applies to family, it applies to everything. Stop worrying about the good old days because it's really easy to look at the good old days through rose-colored glasses. And that's what's happening in Ezra right now. They're looking back being like, oh, I just want the old temple and they're like, and the new guys are like, yeah, but we got this one. So the temple is rebuilt. The walls are rebuilt. When Nehemiah is building the walls, everybody had a house on the wall, so they were responsible for that part of the wall, so good incentive to build it well, because if your part of the wall was weak, they're coming into your living room if you ever got attacked. The problem is, is that Israel came back and they were hoping they were going to return to the grandeur as they once had. They want to go back to the kingdom that Solomon built. Solomon had this huge nation. The borders were as big as they'd ever been for Israel. And they fully expected, <laughs> hey son, uh, they fully expected that God was going to restore them back to that. But what we're going to see throughout history is that Israel never returns. Israel never regains the glory of Solomon. In fact, over the next number of centuries, and we're going to look at this, I think we're going to look at this a little bit next week, um, <clears throat> nation after nation, empire after empire, comes in, conquers Israel, and the nation never returns. And the one thing that we take from this is the fact that we can't get 
focused on the nation, the kingdom that we're building here on earth. Because the one thing that history teaches us is that empires rise and they fall. Nations rise and fall. Kings rise and fall. Nothing ever lasts forever. First it was Israel and their grandeur. And then first it was the Egyptians. And then it was Israel. And then it was the Assyrians. But the Assyrians got conquered by the Babylonians. The Babylonians got conquered by the Persians. The Persians got conquered by the... It just keeps going. Nobody ever lasts forever. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, actually, there is one kingdom that lasts forever. It's not a kingdom of this earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves steal and people are still sinning and people are still murdering, but there is a better kingdom led by a better king. And this kingdom is going to last forever. An encouragement for us today is to remember that in the midst of the... To Avoid the distractions of today. To stop being so focused on the here and now. Yes, we work every day because today is a gift and tomorrow is a gift, but tomorrow is not a guarantee. We've got today. Make the most of today, but we do it in light of eternity. We invest our energies to see the eternal kingdom advance. We, we invest our money to see the eternal kingdom advance because if I'm going to choose, if I'm going to put my time and my effort and everything, put my whole life into something that's just going to fade away or something that's going to last forever, it's an easy choice. This is what Israel kept doing. They kept putting all their effort into the physical kingdom, the physical walls, the physical temple, and they got distracted by doing the right things all the time. And all the while, God's just like, no, just have a relationship with me. Share me with the world. Advance the kingdom through the gospel. Advance the kingdom through the good news. But Israel never got it. We needed Jesus to come along and open our eyes that there is a much much better way to live. And it's through relationship with God that God trains us and he disciplines us and he, he encourages us and he loves us. And this is all that we see exemplified through the man Jesus when he arrives. So not we needed a better man. We needed a better way. We needed a better redeemer. And we need a better kingdom. And this is why we need Jesus. This is why we ex- get excited and we look forward to Christmas and celebrating the birth of the, vir- of the son who comes through a virgin. And as we close the Old Testament, we get to the words of Malachi. Oh, I keep forgetting I have a slide in there. <laughs> the last words of the prophet. And this is significant. Malachi chapter 4. God's last words through his prophets to the people before 400 years of prophetic silence. Here's what Malachi says to the people. Remember, as soon as they heard that word, they would have been reminded of the words that Moses spoke to them when he laid out the law. Remember, the Jews of the Old Testament had the Old Testament completely memorized. So every time they heard this word, it would have brought them back. Remember. To what? To obey the law of Moses, my servant. All the decrees and regulations that I gave him on the Mount of Sinai for all Israel. For I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I'll come and strike the land 
with a curse. Good final words from the Lord. The whole curse thing probably was not the most encouraging thing they heard. But what is he saying? He's saying, watch. Every prophet prior to Malachi hinted that there was someone greater coming. That there was a Messiah, a Savior, a conquering king, a suffering servant that was going to come. He's going to make everything right. And Malachi closes the Old Testament by saying, beware, because this is what you're going to watch. This is going to be the first sign that the Savior has come. I'm going to send Elijah. And I bet for the first year, they looked anxiously for something that looked similar to Elijah. And for the second year, and for the fifth year, and for the tenth year, and slowly but surely, they probably just stopped looking. 400 years is a long time to wait. 400 years waiting for Elijah to return. And in two weeks' time, we're going to discover what Malachi meant that Elijah was going to return. But in the meantime, the people were distracted. They were looking for Elijah when all the while what they needed to be doing was obeying. Remembering the laws that God had given to the people through Moses to obey, to be set apart, to be amazing because of what God had given them. And instead of focusing on that, instead of living the life that they've been called to live, they got distracted looking for, Moses, for Elijah. And I wonder, I wonder what God is calling us to and we're getting distracted by something else. Because they didn't have to look for Elijah. Elijah was coming whether they were looking for him or not. What they needed to do was live a life that was honoring to God, God-fearing, God-honoring, God-loving. And the same goes for us today. Don't be distracted looking for the second coming. Don't be distracted. Jesus is coming back. We know that. And it doesn't, we don't have to look for it. It says he's going to come with a trumpet in the clouds. We're not going to miss it. He's coming back. But the question is, are we going to be ready? Are we living our lives in a way that represents Christ well, represents the kingdom well, or are we living our own lives hoping that at the right moment we're going to get it right just before judgment day hits? And that's an honest question we need to ask ourselves every day. Is my life honoring to God? Am I doing what pleases God? Or am I doing what pleases myself? And am I putting myself above God and his kingdom? And with that, I invite you to bow your heads. I want to pray. Father, I thank you that you... God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that we can go back to the Old Testament and we can read the stories and we can see what they did, how they lived, how they acted, the words they used, the things they did, and we can learn from it. And God, I pray that we do not repeat the mistakes of the past. I pray, God, that we would learn from those that have gone before us, not just Israel, but the New Testament and mentors and people that we can learn from, to learn from the things that they have learned. So that we can live lives that are honoring to you. Live lives that are in full submission to the one and only king worth serving. Jesus, I pray for ears to hear when you're speaking to us. I pray for our hearts to receive the love and the grace that you pour out on us. God, I just pray. I pray, God, that every day we are being renewed, refined, and turned more and more into the image and likeness that we once had. 
when you first created us. God, refine us. Make us into the men and women. May we be reflections of you to our world. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you, God, that we can come to you no matter what and find redemption and restoration and forgiveness. God, I pray that we are sensitive to those times when life gets a little tough, that maybe you being the good God that you are are disciplining us and trying to teach us something. Help us be sensitive to know when that is happening. And help us to learn the lessons we need to learn in those times. Jesus, we love you so much. Be with us as we go. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.